Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of February 18th, 2019. The weekly top three is a regular segment on the Michael Duke Show. I join Michael on the show each Tuesday morning from 6.20 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. The show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud pages and on my website at bgkeithley.com. You can find past episodes of the Weekly Top 3 also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, our initial take on Governor Mike Dunleavy's proposed Alaska budget. Second, once the smoke clears, what we think the ultimate answer is to the state's fiscal situation. And third, no, oil isn't receiving, quote, $1.9 in unnecessary subsidies, close quote, as some legislators claim. And now, let's join Michael. Let's talk a little bit about the top three. I don't know if you would like to comment on this Von Imhoff uh, quote and the Bishop <laughs> quote before we jump into it. Uh, because I think it, I think it relates to your number one thing, which is the of uh, the budget itself. Uh, you know that this budget has now been released, and they've spent the last you know six days just poring over it with a fine tooth comb, trying to figure out exactly what it all means. Uh, but I think we're already seeing. I mean, the sky is falling. This is the problem. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to the to the PFD issue, which is which is embedded in the von Imhoff quote here in the in the second issue. But basically. Basically, that's how the the senators from the top 20% of, of Alaska income brackets want to frame the issue. They want to frame the issue as whether we spend or we cut the PFD. Um, and, and they don't want to talk about alternative revenue options. Um, and they don't really want to talk about cutting spending because cutting the PFD really doesn't affect them. When you break down and look at the impact by income bracket, uh, of what the cutting, cutting the PFD does, it really pushes the bulk of the cost of middle and lower income Alaskans. The top 10, the top 20% escape with a less than 2%, less than 2% uh, impact on their incomes, which, you know, by the time you get down to the middle and lower incomes is double digit impacts. Um, and so that's how they want to frame it. She wants to frame it as as either continue spending, which she believes the bulk of Alaskans want to do, and she's sort of indifferent to it because it, if you if you do it by cutting the PFD, it's not going to impact her, and and that's their way that's their way of trying to avoid an impact uh, that hits them. Somebody asked me yesterday whether I think they're intentionally trying to do that, uh, or or it's just sort of because they don't. They don't see the impact of PFD cuts, and I'm not sure which it is, but but the fact is the top 20%, and if you look at the Senate, most of them are from the top 20%, the top 20% are just trying to slide responsibility off on somebody else for all this. Right. Well, and and I think that that's, that's the easy way out. That's what we've got going on. Well, let's talk about the budget. 
uh, because, again, as I said, it's dropped. The analysis continues. Uh, six stories yesterday alone, or this morning alone, uh, on the on the impact of the budget and the, uh, I mean, it was really, it has become the chicken little scenario uh, because every t- everywhere you turn, it is the sky is falling, things are going on. Uh, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on now that you've had a chance to kind of pick through it and take a look at it a little deeper. Well, this is a discussion we should have had in 2015 or 2016 when when oil prices dropped and state revenues dropped. Uh, 2015, you might have been excused by saying, oh, oil prices are going to recover. They go up, they go down, they're going to come back up. But but by 2016, we should have been having having this discussion. What Governor Walker did uh, was always keep spending sort of on a status quo basis and say, I want to pay for spending with these various revenue options, but you always had the fiscal reserves, the savings accounts in reserve to sort of back that up, to back up the spending if uh, uh, if uh, the legislature didn't want to go for those, didn't want to go for the uh, 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 the new revenue options. Uh, but what we should have done in 2015 and 2016 is we should have said, this is what we can afford based upon current revenue streams. And if we want more, uh, then we need to go out and we find we need to find those additional revenue streams and we need to have a debate about what those revenue streams are going to be and who's going to pay for those revenue streams. But the legislature and Walker tiptoed around that uh, and just continued to draw down, sort of had mock discussions about cutting, but then tiptoed around that and, and continued to draw down fiscal reserves to keep state spending going at, at relatively status quo levels, at least the operating budget going at relatively status quo levels. So w- what's been handed to Governor Dunleavy is really no choice. The fiscal reserves are drained. We're down to our last $2 billion in the CBR, and we, re- need, and we need to keep that uh, for, you know, for true emergencies. Uh, if we have an earthquake that actually had a huge impact, uh, for example, an earthquake that cut the, uh, the Trans-Alaska pipeline, cut our revenue stream, right. we, need to ha- we need to have that money uh, in reserve to sort of get us through that. Um, and so we're, we're, we've tapped out the SBR, we've tapped out the, the CBR, uh, uh, going into the, and, and spending out of the permanent fund earnings reserve is just a tax on, on future generations. It's just another way to kick the can down the road to future generations. So we're down to, we're, we're down to, to where we have to have this discussion. And, and, and yeah, it's on Governor Dunleavy's watch. And yeah, he's the one who has to, who has to bring the discussion forward, but it's a discussion we should have had uh, in 2015 and 2016 when revenues uh, started dropping, uh, started dropping in the first place. And it's a discussion that you know that we urged in 2015 and 2016 by saying, "Look, we can't afford the kind of government we're, we we're, we're paying for." Uh, but people, you know, just wanted to put off, put it off, and and hope that something was going to happen that uh, that allowed us to to avoid the discussion. Now that we're here. I think Governor Dunleavy's frankly done a very good job of laying out what a bare bones uh, uh, budget looks like, what a budget that that is within our uh, a budget that we can afford within within our current revenue stream. And the question that that is going to hit uh, that we're going to have to confront is: Can we live with that, or do we need additional new revenues? And if we need additional new revenues, what uh, what are they going to be? But I I, I I mean, it's it's dramatic. People like to complain about it. I mean, it's a little. I'm having. I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit when I hear people like Lyman Hoffman and others, you know, complain about about this budget. <laughs> They're the ones that led us to it, right? By by con- continuing to spend, um, and it's sort of like 
uh, sort of like when I see Lyman and others at the table, you know, uh, uh, trying to dress down uh, the OMB director, it's like, uh, so what you're really trying to do is transfer the hostility that you know you should be feeling, the guilt you should be feeling, the, 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 the accusations you know you should be taking, and you're just trying to transfer those uh, over on the OMB director uh, for, for finally having the guts, somebody having the guts to come up and say, this is what we can afford. Uh, uh, this is what it, this is what it looks like. Uh, this is what you've led us to. Well, and, and again, this goes right back to the quote that we just had. You know, she said when Arduino is getting cross-examined by these, and it is brutal, man. I've watched this, especially people like like Bill Willikowski. I mean, that that guy. I mean, uh, you know, I agree with him on a couple things, and then everything else, he is so far out of line usually. But I mean, she just basically said, "We're doing this because the state is out of money, and we need to balance our budget." That's it. This is not punitive. This is not because we don't like your favorite pet project. This is because there is no more water in the well. Right. And they and they've had to make, I mean, and the and the administration's had to make the judgment about how you spread the available money uh, over various programs. And, and there was no way to do it. Uh, there's no way to do it without cutting all of the things they've cut you can't you can't preserve the university for example and and get down to current revenues you can't right. preserve and even if you cut everything else you can't you can't preserve k through 12 and and take it out of everything else you have to go across the board uh like this because everything everything we've got going is it has fairly high spending levels um so i think they've done a pretty good job frankly of going across the board they've done with the university what 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 you and I have talked about uh, uh, sort of ad nauseum sometimes, which is they've cut the budget down to what it would take to have one good uh, university as opposed to trying to maintain three university systems. They've cut the budget on K through 12 down to what, what we can afford on K through 12. They've taken out the optional Medicaid services uh, out, of, uh, out of health and human services. I mean, they, they've done – what the steps that that you could that you know we've been talking about for two or three years that it takes to get the budget down to current revenues and I, it, yes, everybody's complaining about the about the consequence of that, but these are steps we should have been talking about. These are steps, in fact, we should have been taking. These are transitions we should have been undergoing for the last uh, for the last at least the last three years. the 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 problem with it is is it's hitting. I mean. It's hitting all of a sudden. We, we've seen it coming. We should have been talking about it. We should have been preparing for it. We should have been telling the university, get yourself down to down to one university. Tammy Wilson had an amendment in House Finance three years ago, four years ago maybe, that did exactly that, that told the university to bring it down, start getting your spending down. Uh, but, oh, my God, there was an uproar about it at the right. time, and so that direction didn't go out. These are things that, 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 the, that the spending centers – of government should have been on their way to doing. Governor Walker didn't make him do it. The legislature didn't make him do it. And now that we've now that we've tapped out the fiscal reserves and we have to do it, Governor Dunleavy is 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 opening that conversation. But you know, I, I can understand I can understand President Johnston at the university opening up the opening up the mail and it says, okay, your budget, your state your state funding is going to be cut 40 percent tomorrow. Uh, you know, deal deal with it. And, and yeah, I mean, I, if I were him, I'd know the way to do it. I'd know the way to get down to a single university, but doing that in one year is going to be, 
is is a big challenge. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I can see those reactions, but it's a conversation we should have been having. We didn't. We put it off by by tapping down the fiscal reserves, and now we've got to have it. Some of us have been having that for many years, but you know, hey, what do we? This is. I mean, I hate to say I told you so, but damn it, I told you so. That was the thing. Um, all right, let's uh, let's peek into uh, part two here, the second uh, of the top three, and that is the question of if this is where we're going, and uh, and you and I have had this conversation several times. If this is where we're going. The answer is to not tap into the PFD. Uh, the answer is in the form, if it's going to be a tax, uh, it needs to be a responsible tax. And you and I have talked about this. And again, for clarification for those folks out there, I don't want a tax. Brad doesn't want a tax. But it seems like that is where things are going because nobody seems to be willing to make these hard cuts. I mean, look at the caterwauling that's going on right now. Yeah, so so I mean we have to start we have to start with first principles. We have been taxed. The last 3 years there has been a tax. PFD cuts are taxes. They are a reduction in in the economic value, a transfer of economic value from individual citizens to to government. We have been taxed the last 3 years. Who's been taxed has has largely been almost exclusively been middle income and lower income Alaskan families. Um, uh, through reductions in their PFD below below statutory levels, that's who's paid the burden of of these taxes. That's who's paid the burden of uh, of, of of maintaining funding that we've had uh, over the last three years. So the question now, really, and we can get into it in the second in the second half. But the question now really is, we we've already been taxed. We are likely to continue to be taxed, and we can discuss why that why that's going to be. Is the RPFD cuts the right tax to use? And and my response to that is no, they're not. They're they're unequal. They're 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 focused on middle and lower income Alaska families. Um, they are inefficient in the sense that they're not sending the right signals to the right people to cut spending. Um, and 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 they're having an adverse. They're they're having the largest, according to ICER, the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy. And Alaska families of of all of the all of the options, so it's not it's not really a question anymore, Michael. Of if we're going to be taxed, we have been the last three years. The question is, what's the right tax uh, to be talking about going forward? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to continue this discussion with Brad Keithley, Alaska's for sustainable budgets. We're going to talk a little bit about why this tax probably is the best thing out there. If if this is where we need to go. And again, I, I can't I can't express enough how much I disdain taxes, how much I disdain what we're talking about. But as Brad just pointed out, I mean, my family got hit for ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars in taxes. Uh, it's already been hit. It's already been there. You lost your PFD. Where do we go from here? I know immediately where we're going to hear uh, Brad, and because we've talked about this, um, the. Uh, you know, the the fact that we're even talking about it. But the problem is, is that this argument has already been framed. This argument's been framed by the legislature for the last 20 years almost. They've been framing this as a revenue problem. I mean, I remember back during the Murkowski era when we had our first kind of real fiscal crisis and he was trying to figure out what to do with everything. And they always framed it as a revenue problem instead of a spending problem. Yeah. 
And and we're we're going to get to that again. I mean, the way this is going to the, the end game end game we're going to come down to is this: the legislature is going to put a m bunch of money back in all of these spending categories. They're going to increase the budget. They're going to cut. They're going to say they're going to pay for it by cutting the PFD. That's what the legislature is going to do. They're going to send that. To, they're going to send that to the governor. They're going to be prepared to send that to the governor. The governor is going to is going to say he's going to take out his red veto pen and and cut a bunch of that spending back. And, and he's going to say he wants the PFD back, and they're going to say we're not going to do that. So in, when we get to that end game, here's going to be, here's going to be the issue. Uh, are, is, is the governor going to be able to, to maintain those cuts, or is the legislature going to, going to add those back through veto overrides? And they'll do some of that through veto overrides. Um, is the legislature going to add back the PFD? No, not unless the governor comes forward and works with the legislature on an alternative uh, uh, revenue uh, uh, proposal, and that's that's the that's the end game where I think uh, we need to be we need to be preparing for that end game by talking about alternative revenues now, better revenue streams, better alternative revenues than uh, than PFD cuts. PFD cuts are the worst way to generate new revenue. They have the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy, and they have the largest adverse on Alaska in, uh, Alaska families. Of all of the various new revenue streams, they are massively unfair because they focus the burden on on middle and lower income Alaska families and allow the top 20% and non-residents who are earning income in Alaska or taking revenue from Alaska, taking income from Alaska, they allow them off the hook. Their massive PFD cuts are massively unfair, um, and so we we need we need to be having a revenue discussion to get ready for that end game. When the legislature says no, Governor, we're not going to give you your PFD cuts back, but we're going to add a bunch of we're going to add a bunch of uh, uh, we're going to add a bunch of, of of new spending on top of it. Uh, deal with it, and 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 working out that end game. I mean, Dunleavy, uh, uh, Tuckerman, uh, the OMB commissioner or OMB director have all said this is an open. What what they're doing now is the opening part of the conversation. Right. Well, we need to get ready for the last part of the conversation. Uh, which is going to be all about that interplay between the PFD and other new revenue sources. My question is: You just mentioned it the uh, the, the the red pen, the redlining, uh, the veto. Um, looking at the new makeup of the majority and the minority, do you think that uh, do you think that right now that a um, that that a veto override is possible? I mean, I'm questioning that simply based on the math. Of what's going on, uh, especially after some discussions I've had with folks like Tammy and some of the others, um, who you know, uh, I think that this this new makeup could potentially make it veto-proof if the Republicans on the on the House side can work together on this. Probably not. Uh, probably you can't have a veto override on things through like uh, uh, like the university. That's going to be that's going to be easy enough to, to vote to sustain the governor's veto. But K through 12, um, uh, things like K through 12 and things like um, um, some of the Medicaid services, that that's probably going to be there's probably going to be a, a, a big push to do to do vetoes on or to do veto overrides uh, on those. There's there's another sort of hidden issue out here as well, which is part of the governor's budget, part of this spending that he's proposed. Is predicated on on taking back a bunch of revenues from uh, uh, property tax revenues from from the boroughs, right? Uh, particularly the North Slope, Fairbanks, and Valdez uh, boroughs. And if he's not able to do that, takes a that takes an affirmative bill. And if he's not able to do that, 
then he's got a hole in his budget uh, for not yeah. having those additional revenues. Right, coming. about $400 million. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budget. Brad, let's continue this discussion on number two. The idea that the only fair tax at this point is a flat tax. Right. So we were we were talking about the fact that that we already have a tax. We have PFD cuts, uh, and I think the legislature is the, the bill the the legislature will will prepare to send to the governor will include PFD cuts again. They'll say they're going to pay for part of the spending increased spending that they'll pass. Um, that they'll include in their budget by cutting the PFD. I think the governor then is going to be faced with a choice. He may he may be able to to sustain a bunch of vetoes on some of the increased spending the legislature wants, but it's up to the legislature to to pass a full PFD. And I think the governor is going to be faced with this choice as we get to the end game. Do I accept PFD cuts uh, as as the way to fund some of this budget? Do I uh, accept a PFD tax? Uh, continuing to go forward, or do I do I come forward with another, uh, an alternative uh, a revenue proposal? Right. Um, and I and I and I think that's a conversation we need to be having now. I don't think that's a conversation we can put off. We can put off to the end. As as I was saying uh, in the break, and I've said many times before, PFD cuts are the worst way to raise new revenue. They have the largest adverse impact on the overall economy. They are by far the costliest and most unfair. To Alaska families, the uh, with a PFD cut, cut, the bulk of state of, of revenue is put off on the backs of middle income and lower income Alaska families. The top 20% in non-residents uh, 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 receiving income from Alaska get off virtually scot-free. Uh, it is it is a horrible way uh, to raise uh, uh, the new revenues, and and I and there are better ways. I mean, a, a, a flat tax, which you and I have talked about, which would be the same percent. Uh, on on all Alaskans as well as non-residents receiving Alaskan uh, income from Alaska would be much fairer, and frankly, it's a much lower cost way to do it because you spread the base over a much a much wider base uh, to to raise that revenue, um, and I think it 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 provides the benefit of an incentive to all Alaskans to look at spending the same way. Right now, an increase in spending. If you if you fund it through PFD cuts, the top 20% goes. I don't care, you know, increase spending because it's not going to impact. It's not going to impact me. But if you have a flat tax that's charging all Alaskans the same percent, then the top 20% has the same skin in the game as the bottom 20%, and they're all looking at that incremental dollar that they're going to have to pay a portion uh, of that incremental dollar. And frankly, I think that creates an incentive to keep spending down. Uh, in a way that we don't have uh, under the current system. So right. I, I, I think the tax is the right way to go, and I think it's a conversation we need to be having now. Well, and this is the conversation that Hammond had, right? I mean, Hammond had, uh, he had thoughts on this, uh, talking about how if it was going to be a taxation like, the, I mean, this was, you know, let them spend as much as they are willing to tax the people, essentially, and this is the most equitable form of that if that's the direction that we have to go. Uh, because, you know, we we're already paying the PFD tax. I mean, that's exactly what it is. That's a, that is, a, Brian says it in the chat room, PFD tax is more, is the more accurate nomenclature. Let's go with that. That's exactly what it is. It's a PFD tax. Yeah. So we're, we're going to, we're confronting, uh, we're confronting a legislature who's going to want to continue the PFD tax. Um, and, and that's the bill they're going to send the governor. Uh, and the governor is going to be left with the choice of whether we, whether he accepts a continued PFD tax, which which I think would be 
I don't think he should, and I think it would be a very bad, bad decision to do it. Since we're going to confront all of these issues now, uh, I think it would be a bad decision to continue the PFD tax. Whether we're going to continue the PFD tax or we're going to, or we're going to start talking about something that's a far more equitable <coughs> excuse me, way to raise revenue and a far more effective um, uh, incentive to reduce spending. Um, uh, and I, and that's what I think a flat tax is. I mean, some people talk about a progressive income tax mimicking what the feds do. To me, that's just the PFD. That's the effect of the PFD tax in reverse, right? It's saying that the top 40% has to pay everything uh, and the bottom 60% doesn't have to pay for anything. It's sort of, it's the effective reverse uh, of the PFD tax. Sales tax, which is another option, frankly, is regressive also. Uh, it also affects middle-income and, and lower-income families a lot more than it affects uh, upper-income families. So it's sort of PFD light uh, in the way it affects people, um, the way it affects the income brackets. Uh, and I don't think I don't think a sales tax, frankly, is is a is a very effective tool to create incentives to reduce spending. I think people just sort of accept it and go on. Um, so there are a lot of reasons I think a flat tax is the is the right way to go if we're going to have to raise new revenue and We've raised new revenue through PFD taxes the last three years. It's going to continue uh, unless we uh, we're going to continue going down that road unless we find some alternate, better way uh, to raise these revenues. Uh, in the chat room, Chip says, "Stop talking taxes and start talking due diligence for residents of Alaska. Stop the spending." Well, I mean that's what we've been trying to get done over the last five, six, eight years, uh, and. There's no political will at this point. I mean, even when it's staring them in the face, even when they're seeing that there is no more money, this is, you know, this is crazy. Yeah, it, I, I mean, we're, the legislature is not going to pass this budget as it's been proposed. Uh, they're going to put increases back in. They're going to put some potentially some significant increases back into it. We, we don't we're not going to at the end of the day, we're not going to have. Um, uh, a, a, a no tax uh, uh, budget. Um, if we don't ha start having this conversation now about what's the right tax to have, uh, we're going to get to the end of this process. The legislature is going to raise the budget. Uh, they're going to they're going to fund it through a continuation of the PFD tax, and that's where we're going to be at the end of the day. And there's not going to be any alternative on the table because we didn't talk about it. So we've got to be talking about alternative new revenue sources now we got to be dealing in reality yes it's nice to you know to pontificate about cut it down to zero no new taxes pay a full pfd read the damn paper listen to the damn legislatures let legislators listen to the damn senate ain't gonna happen right so we got to be dealing in reality it's either we're going to be we're going to get to the end of the session and we're either going to be confronted with a continuation of the pfd tax or we're going to have talked about and have developed an alternate fund an alternate mechanism to replace the pfd tax i hope i hope to hell that that's where we are at the end of the legislature and i'm going to continue talking about it because i think that's where we need to be if we aren't we're just locking ourselves in for a continuation of the pfd tax and that's the wrong thing to be doing for the overall economy it's the wrong thing to be doing for alaska families uh, and it's the wrong thing to be doing in terms of creating incentives to reduce spending in the future Brad Keithley with Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Now down to the third one. We've got about three and a half minutes here. So, Brad, um, the comment from Bill Wilikowski here recently uh, basically saying we're giving the oil companies $1.9 billion in unnecessary subsidies, that that's what we need to do, preventing all this other stuff. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, there are really two things that are going on uh, in the in the in 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 terms of oil taxes that Wilikowski is talking about. One is the eight, 700 million of that 1.9 billion that he's talking about uh, is the HB 331 uh, 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 credits that uh, that the Dunleavy administration the last time I checked was still on still on board to issue the bonds and to pay off those HB 331 credits all in one fell swoop. That's $700 million of it. I absolutely agree with Bill Wilikowski. That's the wrong thing to do. We shouldn't be issuing uh, uh, those bonds. We shouldn't be paying off HB 331 credits all at once. We should be paying it on the former uh, uh, statutory uh, basis, and that, that would reduce that $700 million down to about $100, uh, $150 million maybe. Um, and so that would be, I, I absolutely agree with him on that. The other 1.2 billion of it, <coughs> excuse me, is something that people call credits, but people call credits, but aren't. Um, and they are the adjustment mechanisms that create progressivity in the oil taxes. Oil prices go up, uh, uh, the oil tax rates go up. As oil, ta as oil prices come down, the oil tax rates come down. Those things that adjust the tax rate uh, that, that creates the progr progressivity in one of the worst naming decisions of all time. In 2014, the crafters of the bill called them credits yeah. as opposed to rate yeah. adjustment mechanisms. Well, and we could see that sometimes it's those word plays that make it uh, make it tough to uh, get the true story. Uh, yeah, that's a miss. That's an unfortunate naming convention for something <laughs> that is, uh, you know, when it's truly not a credit and it's more the progressivity slide or the scale for the taxation, that's definitely a, a, a misnaming of that. It is. And it makes it an easy target. I mean, I mean, you, you, credits, everybody thinks of credits being, you know, subsidies of, of one form or another. Um, and and in fact, in the case of the HB 331 credits, the, the reimbursable oil and gas tax credits, that's exactly what they are. Uh, and I agree with Bill with respect to that seven hundred million, but the but the other one point two billion, uh, it, it's just I mean those those aren't credits in the convention in anywhere near the conventional sense. It made sense to the person who was drafting the bill at the time to call them credits because of the way they were constructing uh, the tax code, uh, but they're all they are in effect are these rate adjustment mechanisms. If you wipe them out, if you if you eliminate those credits. What you do is you say, we're going to tax you at the same rate. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to tax you at the same rate, uh, regardless of whether the price is is $70, $60, or $150. Right. Uh, and that's not what uh, uh, the tax code, that's not what a competitive tax code should do. Um, uh, and that's not what the tax code was intended to do. It was intended to have a sliding scale of lower tax rates at, at lower prices, higher tax rates. Uh, at higher prices, and that's all that those so-called credits uh, are doing. So, I you can't if you if you if you try to to wipe out the, that 1.2 billion in rate adjustment mechanisms, um, you're gonna you're gonna upend uh, the tax uh, the tax code, and you're really gonna dramatically change the impact of the tax code uh, on the oil companies to to our disadvantage because then we won't be competitive with other with other investment opportunities, and we'll start to go back into the situation we saw ourselves in from 2008 to 2014 when when investment started to go other places than in new projects in Alaska. 
And and as as we pointed out in the past, uh, there is still some opportunity left. There's still some money left on the table uh, for, yep. you know, for for government, uh, you know, from the from the taxes. But, you know, radically changing the tax structure at this point is not going to do anybody any good. I mean, uh, yeah. minor tweaks here and there, you know, maybe a couple three, four hundred million dollars might be doable. But I mean, other than that, there's just not a lot left on the table. Yeah, exactly right. We constructed a competitive tax code. One of the things that's changed is the is the federal corporate income tax that got reduced from 35 to 21 percent. Most of that uh, change has gone to the benefit of the oil companies. Some of that should have come to the benefit of the state. We probably should have split that 50-50. We haven't done that. We need to go back into the tax code to fix that. But a wholesale wipeout of these tax rate adjustment mechanisms would just be devastating. Uh, it would it would dramatically alter the competitive uh, situation between Alaska and uh, other investment opportunities. Brad, final thoughts here as we wrap up here. We got about two and a half minutes, three minutes left. Uh, final thoughts here on the new majority, on where things are rolling. Um, you know how you think this plays out because again, I think some of this stuff it's going to be pretty tough to get a lot of these overrides, and especially with the Matsu contingent uh, holding strong. Uh, in the House and in the Senate, um, what are your thoughts here on this? Well, I think I think K through 12 is going to be difficult. Frankly, it would be difficult even for the Matsu delegation to to if if the governor uh, would draw the line and say we're not going to have any more K through 12 increases. Uh, I think it would be. I think even the Matsu delegation would feel pressure to vote uh, for an override. There are there are things that can be done inside K through 12 that I think. Uh, could could gather support. For example, uh, the state supplements a significant part of the retirement payments that the that that are associated with teachers to the teachers' retirement system. Uh, the state supplements a lot of that. The state could withdraw from supplementing that and force the districts to see the entire cost, the retirement cost of of the teachers uh, as they've gone through, take on that burden of paying for their own teachers. Right. Um, and, and I think that's something that can be done. And that's, that's, a, that's a not insignificant amount of money, but, but I think drawing the line at, on some of these things and just saying, you know, just saying, we're not going to pay any more than for, for K through 12 than, than what we put in the budget. I think that, do, that does, uh, uh, trigger an override. And at the end of the day, setting even all that aside, I think the legislature comes back with PFD cuts. For example, instead of passing a bill, passing the bill, affirmatively passing the bill that takes money from uh, the property tax money from the three boroughs from North slope, uh, Fairbanks and from Valdez, instead of passing that bill, I think that legislature, which is about $400 million of the, of, of the governor's budget, I think that, I think the uh, legislature comes in and says, "Well, we're going to do BF, PFD cuts instead, instead of instead of taking that money back from the boroughs." Um, and I think at the end of the day, the big debate is going to be about the legislature saying, "We're not going to increase the PFD. We're going to con- continue to keep PFD taxes in place," and whether the administration comes forward with some alternative revenue mechanism uh, to uh, to replace the PFD tax. Well. <clears throat> Definitely not. Uh, definitely not what I want to hear on that for sure. Uh, because I mean, again, I think that really puts the governor in a hard spot because he has promised no new taxes and full PFDs, and something's got to give, and that is the, uh, and that's the problem right now. Yeah. Uh, 
Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thanks so much for coming on board and giving us your thoughts on this every week as, uh, as, uh, as you do. It's, uh, it's good stuff. Michael, thanks for having me as always. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube and SoundCloud pages and keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the weekly top three.